Well, open up with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, and we're also going to be a few pages back from that in Ephesians. Uh, as you turn there, and as I get ready to read and pray, I will say that for the next um, few weeks, we'll talk about that here momentarily, we're going to kind of transfer over to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians are in many ways very parallel books, and uh, Paul's instructions to the family where we find ourselves now in this book um, are much, much more detailed in Ephesians, and so we're going to transfer over and look there. But read along with me as I read to you uh, verse 18 of chapter 3 in Colossians, and then we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and read verses 22 through 24. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In Colossians chapter 5, verse, or Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, uh, verse 22 through 24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, we do pray that, that uh, this church would be a place uh, that builds by your power, by your spirit, and by your word healthy families. Healthy families that, that are a picture of the Trinity. Healthy, healthy uh, families that are a picture of the gospel. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that men would love their wives in such a way and lead their children in such a way uh, that their, their children would fall more and more in love with you and with the gospel and with Christ and with the church because of the affection of husbands for their wives. Lord, I pray that, that we would be a church where wives uh, flourish and, uh, and grow and, um, and participate uh, meaningfully and importantly as you have called them to in the work of the ministry. Lord, we pray for uh, the first assembly of Walla Walla, and we ask that you, that you would keep us and them faithful to the gospel. Lord, where we err in our thinking and our doctrine, correct it, fix it. May we have high views of you and of your word and submit ourselves to you. Lord, we pray also for uh, Don and Nealon as he uh, fills in the gap with InterVarsity at Whitman. Lord, we thank you uh, for his praise shared with us of the continued ministry even uh, during pandemic. But Lord, as we come to this fall semester, we, uh, we ask you, uh, along with him, that you, would, um, that you would give new students to lead, bring new students to lead and to, to step up. Lord, we pray that you would bring a new leader to the ministry. Lord, we pray that that leader would believe and trust that the gospel is your power of salvation to all who believe. and would be faithful to that message to the truth of your word. Lord, let your word sound forth from us. Lord, give us open eyes and soft hearts, maybe particularly this morning as there's so much for us to maybe realign ourselves with in this passage. And so help us to know and trust your word and you through it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul begins in Colossians chapter 3 to, to address the family. And this is not a sudden shift uh, either in Colossians 3 or in Ephesians 5 and the context of those books. In both books, he calls us 
to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he's given us instructions, much instruction as individuals as to what to put to death, what to put on, what to put off, how to live. And now he begins to instruct what our homes will look like. I thought that I was going to preach uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 in one week, and that I was then going to preach Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 in one week. And yet that is not going to happen. It's going to take five. And so we're going to look at husbands and wives over the next five weeks. Now let me illustrate for you why, if I might. There's a new store downtown that opened recently that Jennifer and I have visited and even purchased uh, something from. It's a plant store. And my wife loves plants. She loves them indoors. She loves them outdoors. Uh, Potted plants are much better than cut flowers in my household any day. But as we've been telling people that there's this wonderful plant store downtown, I've repeatedly told people that I think a a smart entrepreneur would open a pot shop next door. Now, somebody's going to clip that and put it on YouTube, and I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. But 10 years ago, you would have thought somebody was selling pots next to a plant shop. And today, when I say that you should, somebody should put a pot shop in next door, what comes to your mind is entirely different. Words are loaded with meaning. And sometimes, what the culture and the world we live in presents to us as, as to what a word means is packed with all the wrong things. When we read a verse like Colossians 3.18 and it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, sometimes I'm not sure we get it right. Before we look at that, I want to say something here because I want you all to hold on with me through all of the next five weeks. Well, 4th of July, we're going to take a break, but however, so probably going to be six weeks uh, to get through this. But here's the thing. As Paul, in both instances, addresses wives first, his instructions to husbands far outweighs his instructions to wives. In the Greek, Paul uh, devotes, in Ephesians 5, 47 words to instructing wives on how to relate to their husbands, but he devotes 143 to husbands, over three times more. And so while I'm going to pick on wives first, I'm going to pick on men last and probably much harder. So uh, men, don't stop coming after next week. If you do, I'm going to call you. But I took to Facebook uh, some years ago because I wanted to see how this word, submit, might be loaded wrongly in the world in which we live. And so I asked the question, I posted a question on Facebook, I said this, I said, what comes to mind when you hear the word submit? Here are some of the top answers. Be controlled, beaten down and abused. To surrender against one's will. Obedience, sacrifice, fear. Compromise, give in after losing a battle, tap out, tap out. 
And I'm afraid that what comes to our mind, as evidenced by this, is that we have the complete wrong image of the idea of submission. We think of it like a a UFC match where one fighter puts another fighter in a hold, a submission hold, and one fighter taps out, unable to endure the fight any longer. And, and, And this is about as closely related to the idea of what the biblical idea of submission is as saying somebody should put a pot shop in next door to a plant shop. It is not at all the biblical perspective. And so before we even start talking about wives and husbands, and so in reality, I'm only going to talk about wives for one week, and I'm going to talk about husbands for three. So I'll devote three times as much time to husbands the same way Paul did. Uh, but, But I want us to today completely reorient our thinking on what it means to submit. And so I want us to see eight principles to reorient our thinking on submission. And and I want to note before we do in chapter 5 of of Ephesians, verse 21, that we're called, all of us, to submit. If we back up, in fact, all the way to verse 15 of chapter 5, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk or live, not as unwise, but as wise, making making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Very similar to what we've seen recently in Colossians. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We all submit. We all submit to the leader. If you've been reading my blogs this week, you see how I believe church leadership submits to the church and how the church submits to church leadership. We all submit in some ways. And Paul simply here addresses wives first in the ways that they are supposed to submit to their husbands. But before we can even understand what that means next week, I want to look at the idea of submission biblically this week. Apart from wives, just all of us as we submit. And so here are eight principles to reorient our thinking on submission. We're going to talk about a lot of verses today, and all of them except one uh, and Ephesians 5 will be on the screen because you'll spend a lot of time flipping around otherwise. So just stay in Ephesians uh, 5 and, and we'll hang there. But first, submission is a part of God's nature. Submission is a part of God's nature. Now, that seems strange to us. How in the world could the God of the universe who controls everything submit? Well, let's look at a few verses. Hebrews 10, chapter 7, says this. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus tells us that when he came to earth as a man to live and die in our place, he came to do the will of the Father. And when we couple that with Luke chapter 22, verse 42, uh, Jesus, praying the night before his crucifixion, says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I don't think it was the cross that Jesus was ultimately afraid of. 
I think what he was afraid of was knowing that he was less than 24 hours away from bearing the wrath of God in our place. And it terrified him. It should terrify us maybe a little more. And he says, Lord, I don't want to face this. But not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. And this is not a new thing. Uh, eternally, there are, we can look all over Scripture to see that the Son of God has, uh, ha- and we'll look at more even today, has submitted himself to God the Father, and that God the Spirit submits himself to them both. The question, I think, before us is, how far was Christ willing to be obedient in his submission? And the answer is, to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the one verse you don't have on the screen. Just listen to me as I read it to you. Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11, says that, uh, that being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. So Jesus, eternally God, presented to us in Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians as the creator of all things, the ruler of all things. He submits himself to the will of his Father to become part of his creation, and he was found in human form. And not just human form, though he committed no sin, he subjected himself to the human experience under the curse of sin. And he became obedient. Obedient to who? Obedient to his father. Obedient to what point? To the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why did he submit himself to the Father? Why did he submit himself to the point of death? To become our substitute. Think about this. This this is mind-blowing. Let's put these pieces together. God the Father, whose wrath it is that Jesus bears on the cross, wrath that we deserve as sinful enemies of God, that Father, angry at our sin, in great love, sends his Son to die in our place, to pour out his wrath on his Son so that he might purchase us out of sin, so that it might be counted to Christ as sin and counted to us as righteousness. The Father sends the Son to bear his wrath in our place. And the Son willingly and obediently goes, all so that God could call us out and away from his own wrath and put on us everything that Christ deserves. How obedient was he? Ultimately, perfectly submissive to the will of God. Submission is part of God's nature. How much more should we not try and avoid it as creatures when the creator himself submits? Secondly, submission is glorious. Submission is glorious. Does that seem out of place in your thinking? 
Do you think, how in the world can that be, Logan? How can you call submission glorious? Well, if you can't see it as glorious, maybe we need to reorient our thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 3 says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Here we see again that submission is part of the nature of God, that Christ submits himself to the Father. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, also verses 27 through 28, where, where Paul tells us, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, that when God the Father put all things in subjection to God the Son, the one exception to what God the Son, namely Jesus Christ, rules is God the Father. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. We see that it's not just in Jesus' humanity that he submits his will to the Father, but for eternity, as Christ rules over all things, he will be and is submitted to the Father. Christ rules over all things except the Father. Now, let's put the pieces together with John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything about Jesus that is not glorious? Is there anything about Jesus that is not glorious? Everything about him is his glory. In fact, in John 17, his dying prayer is that we would see his glory. Why? Because he knows there's nothing greater we can experience. Anything we seek our satisfaction in outside of the glory of God, we're trading down. We're trading for less beautiful things. His glory is the, the, the greatest thing we can experience, the most satisfying thing our souls can see and behold. And so he prays, not selfishly, but selflessly, that we would see his glory to experience our highest good because Everything about Jesus is glorious. And if everything about Jesus is glorious, and if Jesus submits himself to the Father, then submission must be glorious. When, when God calls us to submit ourselves to the government, and we don't, why not? Why don't we see submission as glorious? That doesn't mean we submit to them in everything. We submit to them in the Lord, or our bosses, or one another. Or even, how about this one, his word. Submission is glorious, and we all submit. Number three, uh, so first we see that submission is part of God's nature, that as part of God's nature, submission must be glorious. And number three, submission is part of God's original design. Now I'm going to share with you here a verse that's probably really conf uh, uh, not confrontational, not the word I, I, I was going to use there, but it's just tough passage. And if you want to understand it, come to our cultural conversations because we're going to look at it there. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. 
Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. When Paul calls for roles, differing roles, between men and women in the church, he doesn't appeal post-fall. He appeals to God's created order before the fall. And then in the next verse, we'll talk about that later, he levels indictments at both men and women. And I'm not sure who gets the worst end of that stick. It's, it's bad on both accounts. Bottom line, we've all screwed up in sin. <laughs> and he fires both barrels at all of us. But Paul's call for submission, particularly in the context of the church here in 1 Timothy 2, is a call based upon created order. The, the roles of men and women and how they play out in the church, he appeals to things before there was ever part of the fall. Submission is part of God's original design for men and women. It is not merely something that happens post-fall. Now, here's where we get into some of the more practical parts of this. Number four, this is really important. Submission is not a matter of equality. Submission is not a matter of equality. If there is anything in your mind that says uh, somebody who submits is less than somebody who does not, something's broken down. I think Peter does something incredible in 1 Peter 3, 7. Look what he says here. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, this verse is loaded and rich, and let me see if I can unpack some of it. First, let's deal with this idea of a weaker vessel. I believe that this is merely and only a reference to physical strength. Generally, men are stronger than women. If you look at, I mean, this is why there are cases going to the Supreme Court as to why biological males who identify as females should not be allowed to compete in sports because if you look at world records for every athletic event, the men's times, heights, distances, whatever, are always faster because God, by his design, has generally made men stronger than women. There are certainly always exceptions to that case. But, but God, has he's, he's not calling women here weaker intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, in any way other than physically. I think we should note that this is the very thing that maybe brings honor to women. He says, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor, honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. What in the world can it mean to show honor to somebody who, who is the weaker vessel? Well, let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Strength is not always glorious. My grandmother's wedding china is kept in a china cabinet at my home. Corel is kept at Walmart, right? Sometimes things that are strong and seem unbreakable are not nearly as valuable or deserving of honor as things that require some more tender care. Strength isn't always a good thing. 
But that's not really the point here. The point I want to make is that Peter does something really, really important here that we have to understand in the Greek. And so he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs, that's the word I want to focus on, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Why is heirs so important here? Two reasons. Number one, in this culture, women weren't heirs. Only men were. And number two, in the Greek, when Paul uses the word heirs here, he uses a masculine term to call women heirs of the grace of life. What is he doing there? He is calling for us to have an absolute understanding of equality of men and women before God in matters of grace of life. Does God favor men over women? Absolutely not. I wonder, I hadn't thought about this before, how small would this book be if all the women were removed from it? It'd be pretty tiny. There's nothing here that allows us to think less of women. And in fact, this is so important to God that he says, Husbands, the understanding of your wives, show them honor as the weaker vessel, because they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, this should terrify us, men, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God is here telling us, Husbands, if you fail to live with your wife in an understanding way, if you fail to show her honor as the weaker vessel, if you fail to treat her as an heir with you of the grace of life, I'm not listening. I don't care what you have to say. That's how seriously God takes this. Does that mean we're not saved? Absolutely not. But it does mean that if I fail to treat my wife in this way, my relationship with the Lord is so broken down and there's so much distance between me and him that he can't hear me. That is an indictment you will not find anywhere in Scripture given to women. Nowhere. So this brings us to point number six or five. Submission is about another's good. Submission is about another's good. Again, not cultural in our thinking, is it? If I submit, it's a bad thing. It means to tap out. It means to lose a battle. It, means, it, mean, it has all these negative connotations. But you've got your Bibles open to Ephesians 5. Let's turn there and look. And I want to look at what Paul calls not wives to, but husbands to. And I want you to, I want to ask, not so much how does the, what does the imagery say? We're going to look at this in the coming weeks. But I want to ask, what is the imagery that Paul uses here? How does it feel? Uh, not apart from what it says, but I think oftentimes an intellectual reading of this does not really give us the picture that Paul wants us to understand. Notice that the contrast to wives submitting to husbands is not husbands lead your wives, nor is it husbands control your wives. Rather, what he says is husbands love your wives just as or in the same manner as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
then our love is to be a love that is constantly giving up ourselves for our wives. Now look at the picture here, that he might sanctify her. This word means set apart. Husbands, do you love your wives in such a way that they are set apart from every other woman in the world because of your love? Having cleansed her by washing with the water of the word. Look at the tenderness and gentleness of the picture here. A husband wielding the word of God like a a sponge to gently cleanse and bathe his bride so that he might present her or present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Husbands, does your love for your wife, does your cleansing her with the water of the word result in the fact that she is presented in splendor, in beauty. The, it's, it's, it's the wrong image, but, but I think the place maybe that a bride puts the most time and attention to, to her beauty is on her wedding day. Husbands, does your love seek to present your bride like that to yourself? Without spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy, Again, set apart and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Look at the tenderness of this picture. Look at the care of this picture. Christ doesn't redeem us and then beat the heck out of us. He redeems us and then presents us to himself in beauty and splendor. Husbands, we're called to love our wives in the same way, which means that the the submission of our wives is not about our way or our good or our dreams or hopes or plans, but for theirs. Husbands, whatever it means to lead and love your families, it is meant to be for their good, that our wives might be presented in splendor and holiness. And without blemish. Men, if, you're, if your leadership presents your wife exhausted, exasperated, belittled, frustrated, you're not loving your wife. And in case we missed it, verse 28 reminds us that to do so is our good. It, it, it shouldn't surprise us that as, as people look to their spouses to be the thing that makes them happy, Marriage disintegrates around us. Only God can do that. Your husbands and your wives are incredible gifts from God, but they are horrible gods. And if you look to them for satisfaction, you'll be trying to exact something out of them that they were never made to provide. Submission is not about getting your way or losing your way, depending upon what side of that equation on. Wherever you are in life, in leadership, in the church, in the home, at work, your leadership is given to you by God for the good of others. Sixthly, submission does not mean servitude. Submission does not mean servitude. 
Here in Ephesians 5, we see that a wife uh, submitted to her husband should be served in beautifying ways. In John 13, it's not up there. We're not going to go there. We're going to see that Jesus, the ruler of heaven and earth, the one uh, whom God has subjected all things to, washes his disciples' feet. A job so lowly that even a Jewish servant couldn't do it. It was reserved for Gentile servants. And while the disciples are busy arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and while their mothers are asking if they can sit on Jesus' right hand and left, he's taking off his outer garments and getting a basin and doing the job that's too lowly for anybody else to do. Submission does not mean servitude. Leaders serve. Leaders serve. Seventh, submission cannot be forced. Submission cannot be forced. Here again, we turn to 1 Peter 3, 7, and, and we don't need to exhaust this already because we've seen this verse, uh, we, we've seen it played out, but we see that, that men are not to use their strength to force their wives into submission. Husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing to honor them as the weaker vessel, whether it's in your home, whether it's in terms of strength, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your church, if you have been given any form of strength anywhere, God has given it to you for the good of others and not for their submission to you, not for their, their painful submission to you. Submission cannot be forced. And if you perceive your wives in whatever way, or your children, or your employees, these are all categories of people we're going to look at in these texts. If you see them as unsubmissive, it is not your job to force them into that. Please don't hear me say you can't ever fire somebody at work. That's not what I'm saying. But your strength is not given to coerce people. It's given for others' good. It's given so that you might be a servant. And eighth, and maybe most important, particularly in regards to husbands and wives, submission must be voluntary. Submission must be voluntary. If it cannot be forced, it must be voluntary. Turn with me back, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to see something in the language of the text here as well. Uh, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The, the, the word submit here in Greek is a middle-voiced verb. Now, what the heck does that mean? It's hard for us to understand because English does not have a middle voice. English has an active voice where the subject is doing something, and English has a passive voice where, where the object is having something done to it. So we have uh, an active voice, which is wives submit to your husbands. A passive voice, if Paul had used a passive voice here, it would be, wives, be submitted to your husbands, as in somebody else is forcing your submission. But here Paul uses a middle verb, and middle verbs are reflective. The subject of the sentence, here, wives, does an action for themselves. And so this reads in the Greek something like this, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. As, in, as is fitting to the Lord. Men, first, in Peter, we're instructed not to force submission. And in Colossians chapter 3, what women are instructed to submit themselves, which means it cannot be forced, coerced, beaten, or, or abused uh, to, in order to be gained. All of these are unfitting. Men, you may not bully your wives into submission. And women, 
You are to submit yourselves voluntarily. In doing so, here's the beauty of it. This is one of my wife's favorite things to talk about. In so doing, you have an opportunity to put the gospel on display of a father who loves his son and of a son who submits to his father and of a spirit who proceeds from them both. And God has eternally existed as a trinity of three persons in that reality. And he calls us in our families to model that where husbands love their wives and wives submit to their husbands and children proceed from them both. We have an amazing opportunity in joy and delight and seeking others good to put the gospel and the nature of God on display for our families. One final thought. Wives, Submitting to your husbands doesn't mean that your husbands and husbands are to go about commanding you. In Ephesians, Paul tells us again that, that the opposite of a wife submitting to her husband is a husband loving his wife. Men, lead your families and your wives in a way that is for their good, that is for their holiness that is for their happiness, that is for their beauty. Lay down your life as Christ laid down his life for the church. And see if your wife struggles to submit to you in that. Wives, your husbands may do all of that, and you may still struggle to submit to them. We do it to Jesus every day. If he doesn't get our absolute allegiance and affection, neither will they. But here's what I want this to mean. And there's never a message that I, I, I could possibly preach where I feel more hypocritical than this one. But what we're about to see in families is incredibly countercultural. But here's what I want for my home, but also what I want for Trinity. I want the world to look at us and go, I hate that message. But I want to be loved like that. I want my love and affection for my wife to confound the world when God's word says that she's to submit to me and I'm to love her. People should be so confused about how, how somebody called to submit could flourish so well under a husband's loving and kind and gentle and tender and life-laying down care. Well, husbands, this is how we are to love our wives. And you know why we are to love them that way? have anything to do with them. Because look at us. God creates us. He puts us in a garden. 
we rebel, we spite him, we hate him, we sin against him, we reject him, we claim to be our own little gods and take everything in control for ourselves. And God didn't love us and lay our lives down for us because we deserved it or because we were beautiful or because we were worthy or because he couldn't possibly fathom eternity without us. He'd already existed for eternity without us. He loved us in that way because it was his nature to do so. Men, don't you dare look to your wives and their behavior as the reason why you are to love them. Look to Jesus Christ because it's how he loved you. And wives... Don't look to your husbands and their behavior as to why you are to submit to your husbands. Look to Jesus Christ because it's how he submitted to his father. But there is one caveat in all of this. You are only to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The moment he asks you to do anything that is not fitting to what God calls you to, your allegiance is to Christ and not your husband. And you follow Christ first and foremost. Oh, may we be a church like this. May our lives and our homes and our marriages put on display the sacrificial, obedient, tender, wonderful, sanctifying love of our Savior. Lord, you have loved us well. You have loved us when we didn't deserve it. Lord, would you please help us to offload all of the wrong ideas we have of submission and love. And Would you, over the coming weeks, insert the right ideas in? Lord, would you make us a church fill, filled with gentle, gentle, loving, tender, kind, self-sacrificial, life-laying-down husbands. May this place be a church where women thrive in joy, in value, in meaning, in purpose, and in beauty. Lord, for each and every individual man in this building, may we love our wives in such a way that they are sanctified and set apart among all other women, that our eyes would be only for our wives that our affections would be only for our wives, that every other woman in the world, on the TV, on a magazine, on the internet, would fail, would fall incredibly short of the standard of beauty of our wives. That we would hold them up as the standard of beauty in all things. And delight ourselves in them. And they in us. Christ calls us to delight in him as he delights in us. May our willing submission and love be a picture of the gospel for our good, oh, and for the good of our children that they may see and know that you are good. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name.